But most brands, most people have been afraid of this technology. It's made them nervous. Even the brands that I think do it really well, Coca-Cola, Nike, American Express, think they're behind. In today's episode, we take a step back and look at how communication technology has changed how we as marketers interact with our prospects and customers. Jeff Cole is the director of the Center for the Digital Future at USC Annenberg. He's advised companies like Microsoft, Sony, Time Warner, and AT&T, and get this, held a joint press conference with President Bill Clinton on some of the very topics we discuss today. There's no doubt communication technology has changed dramatically in the past decade or so, but what, Jeff, has impacted B2B marketers the most? Well, that's a great question. I, you know, I started tracking digital 16 years ago because I thought we had lost the opportunity to understand how television changed our lives. So we have 16 years of data, and the two things that have really been transformational in the last 10 years which we did not expect when we started, incidentally. When we started, it was obvious that how we work was going to change, how we communicate, how we buy. But the two things we didn't anticipate was, one, that we would see social networks of over one and a half billion people binding people together in ways we never could have imagined. And second, what I really do think is the most important development in marketing and communications in the last 10 years. We never anticipated that people would be connecting to each other and the internet through phones in their pockets. When we started, everybody connected to a PC on the desk with a hard wire to the wall. And now this third screen, the smartphone, with television being the first screen, computers being the second screen, and smartphones being the third, This third screen has become by far the most important screen we've ever seen, transforming banking, transforming uh, credit cards, transforming communication, transforming just about everything, including marketing. How have you seen companies and brands try to evolve their strategy, their digital strategies to meet these, you know, changes in communication? I have lots of friends who work in marketing, and I'm not just trying to be politically correct, all highly intelligent. But most brands, most people have been afraid of this technology. It's made them nervous. Even the brands that I think do it really well, Coca-Cola, Nike, American Express, think they're behind. And people are really nervous. To give you one example, about Five years ago, I was doing a talk at the Google Zeitgeist, their thought leadership conference. And I was hosting a conversation with the CMO of one of the biggest advertisers in the world. And I was asking all these questions about social media and mobile strategy. And this guy who's a friend was sort of hemming and hawing, wasn't really wanting to answer the questions, which surprised me because he agreed to be on the panel. And then finally, I, you know, he's a friend, so I could pretend to be a little more irritated than I really was. Finally, I turned to him and I said, come on, you can admit it. If I got you alone late at night, filled you with alcohol, you can confess. Don't you wish the Internet would just go away? And he said, no, we love the Internet. It puts us in touch with our customers. 
it teaches us things we've never known. And then as we're walking off stage, she turns to me and he says, you have no idea how often I wish it would go away. <laughs> this thing is disruptive. Lots of people would have liked to have gone back to the way things used to have been. And to me, the most exciting thing about this technology is that everything I'm putting into this podcast with you today, I don't want you playing here because it may not make any sense. I love the fact that everything I learn constantly changes. But that's been very difficult for a lot of brands. Just going back, you know, at least for from an advertising marketing perspective, in the 50s and 60s, for the most part, you were, you know, limited to a television ad or a print ad or maybe a billboard, but that was really it. If you went into the advertising business in 1950 and you retired in 2000, you would have had a fascinating career, but it was essentially the same business in 2000 as it was in 1950. What changed? Television got color and stereo and a lot more channels, but television advertising was fundamentally the same. Newspapers were distributed by satellite and had color pictures, but they were essentially newspaper. Radio didn't change very much. The business, it's not to mean that it wasn't dynamic, but it was essentially the same business. If you went into the advertising business five years ago, you wouldn't recognize it today. It's changed. So much. And I'm curious too, would you say that customers are sort of reacting to or, or setting the precedent right now? Uh, they do both. You know, I just did this tour of the Silicon Valley and the quote that all these companies used was an old Henry Ford quote that according to Henry Ford, if you asked my customers what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. That's the sort of Steve, Ard- Steve Jobs argument that customers don't know what they want. There's some truth to that. On the other hand, they moved into social media much faster than brands. Brands, I think, were initially nervous about letting their customers talk to each other. I had to persuade a lot of brands. I don't know if I was successful, but I tried that they had to be in social media because their their customers were going to talk about them whether they were there or not. They may as well have been. So I really do think that customers both lead and follow. I would argue probably lead a little more than they follow. How would you say, I guess, most companies are sort of looking at communication wrong today? I think they know they have to monitor and listen and pay attention I think the biggest mistake and it's, it, that I see at the moment is this incredible bragging about big data, this desire to accumulate as much data as possible. Data can be amazing, but data is only useful if you know what questions to ask. And I don't think all that many people are asking great questions. So I think people's reliance, let's just collect lots of data, which of course pre- creates possible problems with privacy, but let's create lots of data. I think people are doing it, and I don't think very many people are doing it well. What would your suggestion then be to them? How can you, you know, properly utilize data as a brand, as a marketer? The better course is not to focus on how much you have, but to focus on which questions are you going to ask, how can you make the best use of it. You may know, and I'm paraphrasing here, but I love the Dan Ariely quote on big data, where Dan Ariely says, big data is like teenage sex, 
everybody talks about it, everybody thinks everybody else is doing it, so everybody says that they're doing it. That's sort of where we've been to this point. We're just trying to accumulate it, but it's worthless if you don't make good use of it. So I would really recommend that most companies, unless you're Google or Amazon, you know, reduce the breadth of how much they collect and focus on what are the things they're really trying to learn. What then, if you're not using data in quotations, where do you sort of develop customer profile? Because I feel like that's what I've heard from other marketers saying, you know, you really are using this data to better get a view of your customer. Do you sort of see that as a baloney argument? Is that just people saying no, that to I, say I, it? I, or? I, I mean, I believe every transaction is recorded. Even in places like Amazon, transactions or carts that are not fulfilled are recorded. The ability to know for you know Google to be able to predict flu epidemics by what people are searching for on Google, I think you get data from everywhere and you track it from everything that you do. Now, as I said, this raises some concerns. As far as sharing personal data, whether it's in targeted advertising, we've created, not that others haven't as well, we've created what we think is a four-step bill of rights for consumers on how their data is using, used, which is just quickly, one, we think brands and advertisers should tell their customers what information is being collected and why. Second, there should be privacy statements not written by lawyers for lawyers. They can be written by lawyers, but they shouldn't be written for lawyers. Third, there ought to be an opt-out or an opt-in. And fourth, People should be compensated for letting the companies use their data. That compensation can be cash, but it doesn't have to be. It can be discounts, coupons, early access to sales, special events, all kinds of things. Um, and we think that you know, those are the things consumers should benefit in the use of their data. How do you sort of see this playing out over the next couple of years? What are you, you know, most looking forward to? Is it this evolution of data, or is there something else that you guys are really uh, targeting in on? I, well, I think the, the, the two most exciting things, one that's here now and will develop in the next couple of years, and one that comes beyond that, are the gadgets, are the toys. The one that's here now that people know about, but I don't think they know how powerful it's becoming, is the Amazon Echo, the Alexa, the ability uh, to have a device in your home you can talk to effortlessly. It gets smarter every week. Every Friday, Amazon sends an email that tells you all of Alexa's new powers, and which is now being integrated into buying and all kinds of decision-making and artificial intelligence. And then the device that I think changes our world to a degree we can only begin to understand, but it's further off, is driverless cars. Are the cars that we don't even own anymore, but the cars that eliminate drunk driving because now we have a designated car rather than a designated driver that take the kids to school and all their after-school activities and the kids have a little bracelet so only they can get in the car the car that ends the awkward conversation with your parents or grandparents when you take the car keys away, and the car that makes living in cities like Los Angeles with horrendous traffic become more livable. That's what, those are the two things, one right now, one down the road that I think are really exciting. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Super, super interesting, Jeff. Uh, and I want to shift a little bit to our sponsor today, the Transformation Conference. Uh, and you, of course, are a speaker at the conference. I want to hear a little bit more about what you'll be talking about on stage here in the next couple of days. Uh, we'll be delighted. Well, I mentioned that we've been tracking digital use for 16 years. We've been looking at everybody, all age groups, demographics, and that's how we captured you know, smartphones and social media and all those changes. We've been tracking lots of entertainment issues, but we got really interested in the fact that looking at people under the age of 30 and how they watch television, only 20% of it is live. And almost all of that 20% of live television is sports. So we launched a major initiative on sports media, which we're going to release for the first time ever at the 4A's transformation in 2016. And very, very briefly, we've tracked 60 sports. We want to know which ones people want to play, which ones people want to watch, so we can begin to see by age and ethnicity which sports are rising or receding. We're interested in how people watch, which devices, when they go to the game, how much they will pay, if at all, for sports packages. Looking at, and we even throw in some questions about concussions and attitudes towards commissioners. But we're really unleashing a major new initiative on sports media and how people watch sports. Could you give us a one-sentence synopsis of the study, Jeff? I'm hard to do it one sentence, <laughs> but 86% of Americans are sports fans. Over about 70% of Americans are intense or moderate sports fans, and it's across lots of sports. Of the 60 sports that we look at, 18 are very popular. And uh, so we're, we're beginning, we're digging in on all of those things. For example, we find that two-thirds of people support teams that are not in the communities in which they live. And they're building those relationships through the Internet. That people do want to pay for sports. One of the few things they do want to pay for they would prefer to pay for channels that are run by leagues rather than by broadcasters. That's just a little bit of what we're seeing at the very beginning. Super interesting. And another topic for another episode of just how, you know, that impacts marketers, I would be super, super curious uh, to discuss. So how can our listeners find out more about you and about uh, the Digital Center, Jeff? Anyone who's interested can check our website, which is just digitalcenter.org. Thanks again, Jeff, uh, for joining me today, F phenomenal episode really appreciate it my pleasure so thank thank you josh look forward to talking in the future if you are listeners would like to find out more about b2b nation's marketing edition check us out on soundcloud itunes or twitter give us a follow or subscribe just let us know you're there thanks for listening